welcome to this special edition of the MLN podcast. In this episode, I speak with Fergal McCormick, who is founder and MD of PKF FPM Accountants. The practice started as a one-man business in 1991 and has grown to be one of the leading accountancy and business consultancy practices operating on the island of Ireland and globally as part of the PKF International Network family. The company employs some 120 people across five offices, having achieved average business growth of between 165 and 17% each year over the past 27 years. Fergal is a recent past president of Chartered Accountants Ireland, a visiting professor at Ulster University Business School, and the recent recipient of an honorary doctorate from the same institution. This was an incredibly open conversation in which Fergal shares his own sources of inspiration and motivation, as well as the platforms on which PKFFPM's success is built. He won't admit this himself, but Fergal is one of the island's most respected business leaders. But first and foremost, he is a family man, and he shares openly how experiences within his own family have given him a sense of perspective that have helped him navigate challenges in other aspects of his life. So without further ado, I hope you enjoy the Fergal McCormick episode of the MLM podcast. Glad to join you, Kevin. So what MLN is trying to do, Fergal, with, with these conversations, obviously you and I are recording in, in different parts of the country uh, on account of the, the circumstances created by the COVID-19 uh, crisis. And we want to offer local business leaders, in fact, leaders from, from all sectors, some, some guidance specifically around the, the circumstances that we, that we find ourselves in. But we also want to give people a little bit of a release and, and some fresh perspectives that can allow them to, to plan and strategize for God willing when we're all ready to, to go again. So what I might do to kick off is, is, uh, is start with a little bit about your background, your upbringing, and how I suppose you came to be in your line of work. Yeah, well, sure, Kevin. I, uh, I was fortunate to, to be reared in a very happy family environment. Um, my father was a blacksmith. He worked in his father's blacksmith shop. He then became a welder in Harlem Wolf, and he subsequently then went on to establish his own structural steel business. My mother, uh, Moya, my father was called Terry. My mother, Moya, maiden name Moya McAnulty. Her family were the funeral undertakers and the, the horse-drawn carriage people in Warren Point. Indeed, they've just celebrated their 200th uh, anniversary. And to be honest with you, both of them had had a very major impact on my life. Um, Their their motto was that you had to be happy. And so long as you were happy and treated everybody the same, uh, and remember to say please and thank you, uh, you would survive well in life. And uh, from that, I I went to, uh, first of all, St. Peter's Primary School, and then the Abbey Grammar School in Newry. And subsequently went on to Queen's University, where I um, uh, studied economics with accountancy and then did a diploma in accounting and actually believe it or not became the inaugural president of the queen's accountancy society back in 82 83 i then joined kpmg uh, i must say very happy times there and ultimately became a manager and then was seconded to idb the industrial development board uh, which was the, the pre-runner to currently invest in i 
And uh, I've always claimed it must have been due to my weight, but I think as a result, I am, I am was, uh, or was perhaps the youngest ever principal officer in the Northern Ireland Civil Service at 26. And uh, my role then was to initially a financial appraisal executive, and then I moved to the international division, whereby I became a project director, uh, encouraging companies to undertake FDI into Northern Ireland. And again, I was very fortunate that I, I think before I was aged 30, I had done business in the five continents. So just after that, I suppose I started then, I went out on my own self-employed. I started uh, my own practice um, with a part-time secretary, uh, 21st of August, uh, 1991, with no clients. And I remember I used to buy a newspaper uh, in the mornings, just before nine o'clock, and I'd walk as far as I'd go to the newsagent shop and walk back. And everybody I met, how are you? Very, very busy. And into the office, I read the newspaper. And then at lunchtime again, went to another newsagent shop as far as I could go to meet people, potential clients. I've always had the view since that, that life and indeed business is all about people and relationships. Well, back on the, on the 21st of August in 1991, what was your goal in establishing then FPM? I mean, did you, did you set out to build a business of this size? Uh, not, not necessarily, but what I did do was I always wanted to be an entrepreneur and uh, it happened to be accountancy was my profession, obviously qualified chartered accountant, but um, no, I, I set out to be the best I could be and that's always been my motto and uh, not necessarily the biggest, but the best and to make sure that whoever I was fortunate to have as clients or as strategic partners, uh, that we would maximize that relationship to the mutual benefit of all. At all times, believe it or not, interesting, you may find this amazing. I probably picked it up from a few trips I did to South Korea. But uh, I wrote down a sheet of paper before I opened my six core values. And believe it or not, they have changed, I think, one word in 27, 28 years. Um, and uh, at the outset, we said we wanted to be uh, an active and corporate citizen, uh, both in our community, uh, in our profession, and in broader society, in the broader business community. And that has always been a clear objective of the practice. How did you identify those values that have stuck with you and the business for so long? What was the process that you went through to articulate and unearth those? Well, I, I don't know, Kevin. As far, obviously, over time, you reflect before you start in business, but they were very simple. It was like some stuff like invest in the best, attract the brightest and the best, uh, have fun, um, and uh, you know, be technology-driven. Agility, agile, be agile. Yeah. And from those days in which you, you, you walked as far as you could to buy the newspaper in order to meet people, how have you and the team driven growth? You know, has it been organic? Has it been acquisition based? What tactics, strategies have you adopted in, in winning business over, over the years beyond walking with a newspaper? Well, to be honest with you, we've always had the philosophy that you don't sell. We've never had a brochure, actually. We don't sell. We help and we care. But we find by helping and caring for people and caring for potential people, potential clients, business flows. And it's fair to say that um, most of our growth has been uh, without acquisition. It's been indigenous. Um, we've acquired approximately, our current turnover is around about eight, combined turnover in the island is about eight, converted to sterling is about 8.5 million sterling. 
annual turnover. And of that, we acquired about 1.2 million. So you can see it's been mainly been indigenous uh, growth. But the old motto, if you do a good job, people refer you to somebody else. You, you mentioned some of the, uh, the headlines with regards to, to financial performance. What have been the, the major milestones on the journey? And reflecting back, what are you most proud of now? Well, look, I think at the end of the day, you're only as good as your last job. And the, the one sure thing which we're very careful is, is to retain a sense of nervousness. I, I, I always believe that you must be nervous going into any new client or nervous in any new contact. And indeed nervous in the commencement of an assignment because uh, I always remember a school teacher told me one time, read a fish. Fergie, if you're not nervous going on to the stage, you won't perform. So I, I don't mind having a sense of nervousness. But it's true to say I've been very fortunate to surround myself with a phenomenal and talented team of people. And uh, anything I have achieved has only been a result of an inspirational team around me who continue to inspire me every day. And how do you go about finding and recruiting those people? Are there any tactics or approaches that you take that you'd be prefer to share? Well, look, I'm very simple. It's all about the DNA. I have to be honest. Um, uh, we probably wouldn't be interviewing somebody if they didn't have the prerequisite uh, uh, professional skills, but uh, the deciding factor for me most times and whether I recruit somebody or not, I go straight to their extracurricular activities. And I'm looking to see, are they a sole player? Or are they, at any age and throughout their life, a caring person? Are they doing something different? Are they giving of their time? Are they a giver as opposed to a taker? For example, if they, if they love uh, running on their own all day, if they love uh, everything on their own, but they're not actually a captain, a chairman, a secretary, a treasurer, a volunteer in Salvation Army, or St. Vincent de Paul, I don't believe you can turn the clock off at five o'clock. So if by nature you don't want to help people, you don't want to volunteer, you don't want to give of your time, then I don't believe you suit our culture. So to be upfront about it, we're looking for a breadth of team, a breadth of diversity, because inclusiveness is very important. In sporting terms, six forwards never won a match. But in that context, you must have the DNA. People must, you know, as we call it now, the people analyzer. Do they get it? Do they want it? and that they have the capacity to do the job. Now, in that context, we've never had a problem recruiting top-class people, but it's, it's the values you're looking for. It's, it's the, the emotional intelligence. It's when the chips are down, you want to make sure they're coming up with you, as opposed to telling you the problem. You mentioned there when, when the chips are down, would you be happy to share occasions when things haven't been so good for you in business or other ways and, and how you have emerged from it? Yeah, I think business, I've been, I'm not saying we haven't had challenging times, but the truth is uh, I, I think business is a secondary priority. Your first priority is your family and your health. And uh, I've had <clears throat> some challenges there. Uh, some people will know that uh, our first child died after four days, uh, Emer, and that was a harboring thought. And then, um, our second child, Seamus, uh, turned out to have severe autism, um, very severe. We're fortunate just because perhaps of our income levels that we're able to have him at home, but he requires 24-7 care. And really, uh, once we have him at home, he's in a segregated per part of the house. He, he certainly couldn't go through the whole house. And then I suppose it's fair to say that um, when my wife was expecting our 
uh, current, our second son, uh, Rory, back in 2000, she got a brain tumor and uh, quite a significant brain tumor. And uh, uh, that was a, a bit of realism because little did I know, but I was told, and she was told we had no choice. They had to immediately, she was 25 weeks pregnant. Um, they had to immediately operate or she was going to lose her sight and various other things. So those things put things in perspective. And uh, I think actually, and I, I, it took me a while to reflect on this, but I think looking back, they've actually helped me in business because what they, what they've done is they put things into perspective. I've never lost, never lost a wink sleep over business, certainly since 2000. And uh, my motto is that uh, you give it your best and you can do no better. So if you can look in the mirror every night, that famous tool doesn't cost too much and say, I gave it my best today. Well, you can do no better. We all make mistakes, but if we give it our best, then we can move forward. Thanks for sharing that, uh, Fergal. And I suppose uh, it's maybe... Um, an appropriate juncture to, to, to discuss uh, the situation at the minute uh, with regards to, to COVID-19 and, and how people uh, may and can uh, deal with this situation. I mean, what actions, uh, on a practical point of view and drawing on your own expertise, what actions can and should local business leaders take now the best protect their organizations and indeed their, their financial future? I think to be fair, Kevin, we first of all have to acknowledge that the COVID-19 is a significant threat uh, to the health, health of our families and the health of the nation, indeed the health of the world. And that must be our first priority. And thereafter, we have to also uh, recognize that there's a significant threat uh, to business. Um, in terms of business, it's encouraging to acknowledge that the World Health Organization says it will be temporary, but there is no definition of what that temporary is. So if we even look at present, the best, I think, could be 8 to 12 weeks and a lot longer. So uh, I think we have to be realistic and say that it is going to have major impacts in business. So what a business should do immediately? Very simple. Um, I think it has to look immediately at what are the impacts of COVID-19. And it, it very easily, get down a sheet of paper very quick and start with sales. Talk to key customers. Look at the market trends. I mean, if you're online, it may not have the same impact. But are you going to be able to sell? Are your customers still open for business? Um, then in terms of staff, I mean, obviously, there's going to be perhaps problems with the availability of staff in terms of sickness, but equally social distancing. I mean, will your staff be able to come to work? Um, you know, uh, and if they're not able to come to work, can they work remotely? And can they work effectively remotely? If they're looking after kids or looking after vulnerable adults, then you have to look at your suppliers. I mean, your supplies. Are your supplies effective? And, uh, you know, uh, if, for example, our suppliers located currently in areas of significant turbulence in terms of COVID-19. And finally, finance. And, and the, the blunt truth is that in the current environment, cash is king. And uh, you, you have to be at the first stage carrying out a risk assessment, a risk assessment, incorporating a business continuity plan and immediately addressing the changes that you can impact immediately to, to, to mitigate against some of the, the very significant challenges that are there for your business. And those type of things would be, first of all, to look at uh, what costs you have to incur, whether you're operating or not, or on a reduced basis. And to be fair to the government, certainly in the north of Ireland, we operate across the island, but in the north, first of all, 
the likes of the the the, the rates hot uh, help with mortgages, and then obviously the uh, the the, the furlough employee scheme, and also uh, obviously loans, etc. And you could go on. There's actually about I think we estimate about 13 supports in the north and about uh, 12 in the sorry. 12 in the north and 11 in the south. But um, I, I think the reality is then you've got to do a cash flow forecast. But at all times, remember, and it really is important, I think, and this is the most important thing, that whilst it's important to navigate through the current storms, the objective must be to have a business at the end so that it can start again and more importantly, be in a position to embrace the, the, um, the, the uh, what do you call it, the recovery when it comes because the World Health Organization says this is temporary. So it's back to basic cultures, it's back to agility, it's back to resilience, it's back to strategic planning. And really, if you think about it, it's unfortunately, these things have come to a head very quick, but I would be very confident that the fittest will survive. You know, if you think about it, uh, Old habits, if you get them right and get the behaviors right, I, I, I always say personally that um, winning teams do the ordinary things with extraordinary consistency, commitment, passion, and focus. And really, if we can apply that, if we can apply that to empowering our teams, I believe in the current environment, your teams will support you, your people will support you, but only if you demonstrate that at all times, the, your attitude to how you deal with people is central to everything you do. I personally believe that you judge an organization on two things. It's leadership and how it treats its people. And I think if you get both those right, you will come through this. Unfortunately, Kevin, none of us know how we will be affected personally or our families health-wise. But I think you can be sure of one thing. And for those that continue through it, and some businesses will do very well, but the majority will suffer great uh, shocks. Uh, I think that uh, they also must adjust to the changing circumstances. I think we can take it for granted that um, people's consumer habits and purchasing, I think, will change. And I think, to be honest with you, business won't be the same again when it, when it uh, reopens. I think that there will be changes. And uh, uh, I think technology, um, certainly, in our own case, looking back, with hindsight, we're fortunate. We placed a lot of emphasis on people, on digitalization, on introducing uh, technology, whereby, by coincidence, we were all able to work remotely. And, and, and similarly, we had a, an online portal. Um, obviously, it brings new challenges, particularly if workers are working remotely, that you've got to look at your communications as well. You have to make sure you're keeping in regular contact. And cer certainly, the, the video conferencing that we're using now, Zoom in, or whether it be Skype for business, or whether it be Microsoft Teams, or web text for meetings i think you got to put all that in place but interestingly we do a weekly um uh, pulse survey with staff and uh, most of our staff have been remote working now for over two weeks and it, it takes place every thursday and friday uh, the one we had on last thursday and friday had one of the best results ever so you know people were saying it's uncertain times but by God, I don't feel on my own. I feel I have work colleagues who are not only work colleagues, but are friends who are caring for me. Uh, we've kept in touch with clients. But I wouldn't want to in any way suggest that this is not going to be a major challenge for our business. It is, but there's one sure I'm confident about is whether I'm about, hopefully I will be, but PKFFPM will survive and will come back stronger than ever. That's fascinating to hear that the, that survey has has delivered such positive results uh, in in this time. How have PKFFPM been supporting team members? I know you talked about uh, 
video conferencing and, and, and whatnot. Are, are there any other practices that you've put in place or have you encountered any examples of good practice when it comes to businesses and leaders supporting their people at this specific time? Well, I can only share our own experience. Our own experience was number one that uh, virtually uh, we had we had a capability where all actually 120 staff are able to work remotely from home. Um, with that capability in place. Secondly, we have tried to encourage regular contact with those staff. We've encouraged staff to keep in contact with their colleagues. We've encouraged them uh, to keep in contact uh, with clients. Thirdly, we, we've, we've actually empowered people to use various video conferencing as a tool now, which we weren't doing before. And we, we've also done the likes of the staff survey. We've done uh, surveys on work, remote working with them. We, we're actually doing a security survey today. We've given tips for remote working. And it's, it's made us think. But the, the, the amazing thing is uh, the innovation, the innovation, the creativity of our people has amazed us. And we have found that, uh, you know, these things have forced us to keep to really keep in contact with clients probably more than we ever have done the regular phone calls and you know inquiring first of all and rightly so how are people how are their families how's their workforce and i think the uh, there will be a lot of collective good comes out of what is a very distressing time for us all i've heard you speak before about motivation and fulfillment in life and in business quoting the likes of, of winston churchill and saint francis um, what motivates you and how does that influence how you and the PKFFPM team react to the current situation? Well, you mentioned Sir Winston Churchill, and I think you're referring to the quote I regularly make refer to, which is he said, You make a life of out of you make a you sorry, you make a living out of what you get, but you make a life out of what you give. And uh, you also refer to St. Francis, and they're two very famous quotations I refer to perhaps every day in my life. One is, um, it is in giving that we receive and the door to happiness opens outwards. So to put it bluntly, I'm motivated by helping others. And, I, and I, by that very quotation, I find if I help others, it gives me great satisfaction. And that is my motivation in life. If I can make a positive contribution to society, to my family, obviously, first, to business clients and to society, uh, I'd be happy. But ultimately, I suppose in days like this, you, you, just at the current times, you think, you know, how would you be fulfilled? And how, looking back, what would you want to be judged on? Well, I make no apologies. I'd like to be judged as a good husband and a good father. Two other concepts that I've heard you reference before, and maybe if you don't mind, you would speak to both of them. The first was emotional uncertainty. And the second is collective character. Would you be happy to share your thoughts on both? Yeah, well, sure, surely. In terms of um, emotional intelligence, uh, I think you know that, that, that's the key to life. You know, common sense. Uh, you know, people must have the uh, they must have savvy. They must understand people and relationships. They must, uh, you know, I believe that um, you know they need to possess skills like humility. You know, how can we do things better? Uh, uh, you know, it's so important, uh, tolerance, passion, energy. And I think in the current environment, to be honest with you, ethics, I think the, the business landscape at present and going forward is going to be pivotal, is going to be centered around ethics. You know, if you think about it, in years gone by, the whole, uh, the whole objective probably was, can I do it? Yes, we can. 
I now suggest that it's not can I do it, it's should I do it? Because you won't know for a few years. So judgment is very, very important. In terms of collective behavior, yeah, I, I, I think it's, uh, it's fundamental. Um, you, we've got to get that right. We've got to obviously keep learning, keep building on teams, keep complementing our skills and creating an inclusive workforce, a workforce that inspires people. You know, that isn't based on any type of hierarchical position, but actually it's based on behaviors and attitudes. And uh, I think th th those two interwoven. But I think behind that, it's also important to appreciate that, it, that whilst collective responsibility is important, it is also important to appreciate that as sure as night follows day, that individual decisions are equally important. And, you know, they can have a major impact. And I think it is important to appreciate that, you know, currently, in, particularly in the current environment, we can't control what happens around us, but we can control how we respond. And equally, in difficult days like we're in at present, I also believe it's important to have that culture in your organization which recognizes that our current circumstances don't determine where we can go. They merely determine where we start. So it's the interaction of those. And I think a lot of those, to be honest with you, are emotional intelligence. You know, I started off um, the very first... Um, speech I ever gave, believe it or not. I was just started in business. And I was asked back in 1991 to be, <laughs> I couldn't believe at the time, the keynote speaker at the, uh, uh, the Ulster or the Irish Chartered Accountant Students Conference, which is being held in the Sleeve Donard Hotel. And I was asked to pick my own topic. And I picked the topic, I don't care how much you know until I know how much you care. And I'm more convinced today than ever. That's the key to business and indeed life. You mentioned before that levels of, of innovation within your firm have almost never been greater than they are at this, at this very moment. Can I ask what techniques or activities you specifically adopt to, to generate ideas or gain clarity? Yes, surely. I mean, we have to first of all recognize you either innovate or evaporate. And in, in the case of accountancy, that's all about uh, trying to see how you can do things better, trying to make sure you keep yourself abreast of latest developments around the world, uh, et cetera, et cetera. And what we do is on every agenda, I stress every agenda, we have a heading called OFIs, Opportunities for Improvement. And everyone who's at the meeting, who wouldn't be at the meeting if we didn't think it's something to contribute, they're expected to feel free to contribute OFIs at any time. And once a month, every member of staff will be in at least one to two meetings uh, with OFIs on it. And to be fair, uh, that, that is really, really important. In terms of innovation, we're always encouraging innovation. We're always encouraging people to think outside the box, to push the boundaries out. Because there's nothing more satisfying than actually suddenly realizing you're doing something more efficient. You're doing something more effective than you did before. And ultimately, that then translates into premium in terms of developing new business and securing new business. So it's a culture. You, innovation must be interwoven throughout everything you do. And that's in every form of business. And um, what about personally? What, what do you do to, to, to create ideas, to gain clarity? And if I could add additionally to that question, are there any books both business and non-business that you would recommend that have influenced your thinking over the years? 
Well, I, I, to be honest with you, yes, I would. I do a lot of reading, a lot of newspaper reading in particular, um, to be honest with you, in terms of trying to pick uh, uh, ideas. Uh, I, I, there's one book in particular I like, the Entrepreneurial Operating System, EOS, that, I, that I've read uh, called Traction. I, I like it. Um, it's also fair to say that I'm always looking uh, to observe best practice, not necessarily in my own sector, but in other sectors, because then you can, then you suddenly say, well, look, could we apply that? Could we maybe slightly change it and apply it in the context of our uh, business? So, yeah, I love uh, reading uh, autobiographies, um, uh, to be fair, of successful business people and successful, perhaps even more sports people. Um, the, the All Blacks book published a couple of years ago, I found very good, I must say. Uh, and I, I suppose, you know, you look up to people. I, I was watching a program on the RT the other night and uh, the, the Irish broadcaster, Michal Amur Hurtick. I think he's uh, late 80s. Oh, what an inspirational person. And uh, people like that, I'm always looking to observe people. And uh, so uh, I'm a reader, but I'd say I'm more so an observer. I'm always looking to try and see what I can learn from observing somebody else. What is Fergal McCormick not very good at? What do you struggle with? Well, <clears throat> I'm a disaster from a point of view of cooking. I don't know how to cook and I don't know how to do any gardening. Um, I always argue with my wife, teamwork's important. I can wash the dishes. Um, but uh, certainly cooking, I, I, I have to be say it's a shame. I have to shamefully admit that other than um, put the kettle on and perhaps uh, a bit of toast, uh, nothing else has yet uh, tested my cooking skills. Okay. This is a long way off uh, this next question, but uh, when you when you eventually decide, decide to, to, to hang up the boots, what will retirement look like for for you? Sort of what, where, how? Well, I, I think, um, I, first of all, I'd like to leave a legacy business. And then retirement for me uh, will not be picking the daisies. Um, I will want to slow down. I want to do things slightly differently, uh, perhaps not under the same pressure in terms of uh, uh, in terms of having direct leadership or management for people with subordinates. But I would like to continue to contribute uh, to society and to business. I've been fortunate over the years to be reasonably proactive in leadership roles and not-for-profit organizations. Uh, and I look forward to continuing that. And indeed, um, uh, I suspect uh, some uh, non-executive business roles. But uh, look, uh, by nature, um, uh, I like to be busy, but within reason acknowledging that one's capabilities and uh, one's age needs to be respected. So I'd like to balance uh, my retirement in terms of doing things which I like. But but I have to say, um, you know, I've always found people talk about work-life balance. Uh, I'm always in favor of work-life balance, but I'm not one that ever thought you could turn the clock off at five o'clock. So I always felt that if you had something important to do with family, you did it during work if you needed to, but equally, if you had work to do outside of work hours, you did it. So I believe I've always integrated that. And I think that should be a very good uh, testimony for me as I move into retirement because uh, I've, I've enjoyed work and I certainly enjoy life every moment of it. And rework, the day I'm not happy going to it, whenever that day comes, I won't go. Your, your own network is, is phenomenal. <clears throat> um, 
if I'd like to know a uh, how you've managed to build such a network, and b then if I said the word successful, if you could maybe pick one person from your network who comes to mind and and why. Well, I'm not sure my network is phenomenal, but I am fortunate uh, to have a number of uh, friends, uh, both in business and out of business, who I really treasure their friendships. Uh, I think networking actually is uh, is developing in that it, uh, it's now perhaps becoming tech and nudge, where one is uh, utilizing technology to enhance their networking skills. However, it's very important to appreciate, as I said at the outset, and I continue to say till I die, Life and business is all about people and relationships. And therefore, I have tried always to develop listening skills and secondly, uh, to uh, show an interest in people and to care. And I think if you do that and you build up trust, people will always be willing, hopefully, to share their thoughts with you. And there's nothing more satisfying, by the way, whenever you know somebody shares a thought with you which is hurting them, but they think they want you to hear about it and ask you, can you help? In terms of people I perhaps most admire, if you put your question in another way, um, I suspect three probably come to mind uh, very quickly. Um, uh, Dr. Martin Ockton would be my business uh, uh, uh extraordinary person that I look up to. I think what he has achieved has been phenomenal and the way he achieved it, the values he espoused, uh, started as a one-man band and developed, then Dimplex did a lot of reverse uh, acquisitions uh, through, uh, bought brands, brands, brands. He, you know, I think uh, if I'm being honest, I, you know, so I was so fortunate to, to sit on a board with him for seven or eight years. I learned so much. He didn't realize I was learning. For example, you heard me say, innovate or evaporate earlier on. I don't think I ever went through a meeting that Martin Knock was at, but sometime during that meeting, he didn't say innovate or evaporate. Another thing he used to always say was, which I have to say has stayed with me regularly and I apply it on a day-to-day -day basis. If you cannot delegate, you are a nuisance. How through? The other people I would look up to from different, Mother Teresa, I think Mother Teresa was a phenomenal woman. Um, made an unbelievable impact, but never forgot where she came from and never forgot the humble message she was trying to sell, which was to help and to care for people. And the third person I admire, believe it or not, and I meet him from time to time, I sit actually on a Special Olympics Ireland patron's board, but I've never said this to him, but not in that work, but just everything he does. I'm fascinated by Michal Amarharty. I watched the three or four different documentaries on him. Uh, I think he, he is such a, a great person for expressing the best in life and finding the best in people. Um, his use of language is phenomenal and uh, certainly on a wet day, he inspires me. And I always think that uh, if I could adopt his uh, approach to life as I go through my life, uh, I'd be very happy. And uh, one of the things he always seems to be he ignores his age. He's always interested in youth. He's always looking to the future. He's always embracing change. He's always embracing technology. And, you know, he's a fascinating person. If you ever hear him on chat shows or whatever, just he's a natural, great uh, communicator. And uh, I think he perhaps doesn't realize it, but I think he's had a phenomenal impact on so many people. Yeah. Final question, Fergal. Um, 
What advice would you give yourself age 20? And I'm going to indulge myself here. I, I'm 39. So what advice would you give yourself age 39 as well? Uh, I, I have probably given it earlier on uh, indirectly in that I think the, uh, the two things that, uh, that perhaps I'm sorry I didn't appreciate earlier were that we can't control what happens around us, but even in the terms of the COVID-19 virus, however, we can control how we respond. And secondly, I think that our current circumstances don't determine where we go. They merely determine where we start. And I think if I kept repeating them to myself at various times throughout my career, I maybe might have advanced a little bit further. It may have given me uh, a level of comfort and inner peace, a level of patience to appreciate that um, uh, keep at it, persistence, resilience, you will be rewarded, but make sure you visualize the final picture. And uh, I wouldn't say never give up because there's times you need to exit from a process because you have to acknowledge maybe it was the wrong process, but certainly never lack determination, never lack passion. And uh, you'll be rewarded in the long term. And, you know, to be fair, Kevin, you know, in that concept, I, I suppose one thing, uh, if I'm being honest, looking back, if I was changing, I think in my uh, early career, uh, I think I maybe showed a little too much patience uh, to staff who I didn't think had the right DNA. Uh, I'm now convinced um, that, if somebody doesn't have the right DNA, you're better telling them very quick because uh, it has a knock-on effect on the people working with them if they're not pulling their weight. So I now use a thing called the People Analyzer. It was in that book, actually, I referred to traction. And in very simple terms, uh, we ask a simple question. I do all the time, but even in my not-for-profit organizations, I ask the questions, do people, the GWC, do they get it? Do they want it? Do the capacity do it? And above all, disengage from negativity, be positive, and always look on the brighter side of things. I think that's a, a very appropriate and timely uh, way to, to, to wrap up, Fergal. Um, can I just sincerely thank you for taking the time to speak with me today and to, to share your thoughts. Uh, so very much appreciated. It has been my pleasure, Kevin, and uh, obviously at this time, we wish everyone to be as safe as they can and their families to be as healthy as they can. But working together, we will all overcome COVID-19 as a society. And we will ultimately, from a business perspective, um, regain our momentum and go forward with new enthusiasm, albeit that may be a few weeks and months off. Just a quick and final word from me, folks, to say thank you for listening. If you enjoyed this episode, there are plenty more conversations with other thought leaders and world-class performers to come. So make sure you're following MLN on Twitter. That's at MLN underscore NI. And sign up for our e-newsletter by visiting mln.org.uk forward slash join. It's all free and in addition to receiving notifications about podcasts and speaker videos, you will also receive invites to free events that MLN organises throughout the year. 
The Management and Leadership Network is able to provide all of this for free due to the support of the MLN champions. And they are Amet Insurance, CPL Recruitment, DAC Beechcroft, Danske Bank, Electric Ireland, PKFFPM, Ulster University and Experience. So thank you to those organisations and thank you very much for listening.